right, so welcome to the very first Ask Pastor Jeff Anything podcast. I'm going to admit I'm a little conflicted about the title even still because it implies that I have answers. It implies that I'm smart and know what I'm doing. Uh, And that's not necessarily the case. It's really just an invitation to conversation. That's what I'm really after. Uh, I'm Jeff Slater, the pastor of Trinity United Methodist, and I am here with Jody Renee. Hey. Okay. I always get nervous saying your last name. Yeah. Say it right. Okay. The right way is Hiron. But what I've learned is we all just say Jaron and I answer to it. All right. There you go. And uh, Jody Renee is the um, director of spiritual life here at Trinity, uh, which means she does lots and lots of things. But among them is have good conversation and uh, bringing a lot of uh, a lot of interesting background and perspective. Uh, and our hope for this podcast is that uh, whether you are a member of Trinity and are connected with the congregation or not, uh, you are welcome to listen and participate and send in questions for us to talk about. Now, we don't have any questions to start with this week, but, uh, but, but I have one, so we'll start <laughs> with that. Uh, and in the meantime, the real hope is that it, this will be a place to go a little bit deeper. You know, we're starting this during COVID-19 and the pandemic, and uh, the entire world has been disrupted. I heard someone just this morning say that they've stopped calling it a crisis because this is going to be going on so long the word loses its meaning. Instead, what it is is a massive disruption of life. And uh, we're figuring out how to do the online worship thing, and I, I think we're doing it Uh, at least as well as can be, not that we don't have room to grow. What we don't have, though, is a way for people to go deeper. Faith is about growth, and this is a time when we're all being called to something deeper, so how do we do it? And listening to Jody, Renee, and I talk for for half an hour, well, that that might take you a little deeper. (laughs) But what will really do it is if you engage. If you engage in the conversation, uh, comments on Facebook, talk about it with each other, uh, around the dinner table, those are the things that will really help you go deeper. Absolutely. I was thinking about that even coming off of Sunday when you were talking about Thomas and the concept of doubt, but doubt as being an idea transformed into action, like acting on what we believe. But if we don't really kind of wrestle with it first or even live in the paradox of our doubt while we still act and choose, it's just it's about staying on the path. What's the old... Um What's the old uh, preacher joke uh, that coming to church uh, and uh, uh, coming to worship every week doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in your garage makes you, you a car? car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the same kind of the kind of thing you have to do, yeah. uh, and you have to you have to seek out. I like the seeking part. Do makes my past fundamentalist nervous only because I know doing matters, but it's the impetus. And when you were talking on Sunday preaching, I was thinking Anne Lamott has this great quote that she sort of recrafted from Kierkegaard where she says, the opposite of faith isn't doubt, the opposite of faith is certainty. One thing uh, all of you listening are going to find out is that Jody Renee and I love to go down rabbit holes when we talk. So we'll... we'll yes, I'm, we do. That, that just opened up several for me, and I'm going to be good. I'm going <laughs> to hold it back. Yeah, uh, you already picked a question, so we can't, <laughs> we can't chase that bunny. Well, uh, one thing that's uh, else that's worth saying, though, is that 
Jody, Renee, and I have this, I don't know, coincidence, serendipity, whatever, in that we, we both kind of, I don't know, found our faith, found our footing in ministry in the same movement that was going on about 15 years ago. Am Almost I doing that math 20. about right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, except we were uh, looking at it from opposite angles. It was called uh, the Emerging Church Movement, and I don't even know if I should say was or is and there were all sorts of debates about emerging or emergent or the church that is emerging and that's that's a whole oh, nother gosh. rabbit hole to go down but what it was what it was about uh if i can oversimplify it is just a recognition that the church and the world really is at a crossroads where everything is changing and that the church always a little bit behind uh, needs to change with it. Now, I, I, there's more to say here in just a minute, mm-hmm. but just so you know where we're coming from, uh, a lot of those in the emerging church movement were evangelicals who had realized that not everything was quite right. Yeah, we were what the survey types would call post-church. Um, I was definitely post-church that idea of looking for Jesus, looking for the narrative of God throughout time, um, and wanting to claim all of the best parts of church while desperately needing to restructure all of the things that had made it a not safe place for a lot of us who were asking questions and who were trying to fatten up our faith life a little bit. And from my point of view, I have I have just a touch of evangelicalism in my background. There was a little period during high school, but I grew up United Methodist and in uh, the mainline tradition. And for me, it was more so, oh gosh, I, I don't want to offend anybody who is uh, also United Methodist because I'm, I'm going to put this a little bit harshly. It, it was boring. <laughs> it was boring and it was safe. Now, certainly there is all sorts of good in there, and I don't want to discount uh, all the people who need boring and safe and, yeah. who, and for whom that is good. But at the same time, I recognize that a lot of the church that I grew up in didn't reflect what I read in the gospel. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't so much that it was harmful so much as it was a little too too safe yeah i mean what kind of a difference do we have here so uh jody renee and i both found this uh, emerging church movement from different sides of it uh, and then found ourselves both sitting here next to this microphone yep we put out a call on facebook for questions and we hope that you all will put a a send in some more questions oh oh one other thing about the podcast i should say Mm. Uh, i am totally stealing this idea Uh, Because one of my favorite theologians, uh, N.T. Wright, a British British theologian and bishop, and I don't even know how many books that man has written. (laughs) He's incredibly prolific. Does his daily devotions in Greek and Hebrew every day and writing commentaries as part of his personal devotion. He is just an awesome uh, person. Uh, But he he has a podcast called the Ask N.T. Wright Anything podcast Mm -hmm. uh, where uh, a friend comes on and the listeners send in questions and you can write, uh, ask this great theologian questions and they just sit around and talk about them. So that's where the idea came from, uh, um, unashamedly stolen. Yes. Uh, so I hope that you all will send in questions. You know, uh, oh, this is almost too broad, but kind of like the why do bad things happen to good people? Absolutely. Or what's the deal with the church and abortion? I'm going for all the hardest I ones, was going to say, I? just drop the big ones now. <laughs> there, why don't you? 
there are simpler ones too. Like I've I've known a lot of um, uh, former Catholics and Baptists. Uh, like a, a Catholic who marries a Baptist and find out that they they fit they they're both happy in the United Methodist Church. That's funny. <laughs> it is. I've known so many of those. Uh, but there's there are reasons for that, and I love talking about this mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm not all that smart. I'm not. I'm I'm certainly no N.T. Wright, but. Uh, I do love talking about this stuff, yes. and I know Jody Renee does too. Yes, I do. So uh, while we wait to get questions from you all, I thought I'd start with one that is equally big, and that is this whole pandemic, this whole COVID nineteen thing. Mm. Uh, what what's going on? Yeah. So Jody Renee, you wanna you wanna answer that? Yeah. <laughs> as if I'm as smart as NT, right? <laughs> Uh, actually, he, he tackled that question, too. He talked about uh, pandemics of the past and yes. what the church did. I, I'm not that kind of historian. The plagues. Well, and this is a good one. Um, it's the what now, because we see it in church life and in our economic systems and in family life. And certainly it's got to be raising questions for people from a faith perspective and a God perspective and a church in the world perspective. So what now here's the way i see it so this emerging church movement there were lots of uh, writers uh, brian mclaren is probably the best known but there were others too there was one who kind of emerged i guess you'd say uh in book form towards the as that movement was kind of winding down a little bit but what she said encapsulated the whole thing so very well and so perfectly and so beautifully written too. Mm-hmm. Uh, her name is Phyllis Tickle, and uh, I I fell in love with her books. My uh, my wife called it an author crush, <laughs> one that I've never gotten over. Jody Renee, you actually met her and got to work with her, uh, right? I did. I Phyllis was one of my early mentors to bring me back into the church. She was sort of a the head mother, the abbess of this weird monastic mindset that all of us were sort of coming back at. And she she gave words to a lot of what we were experiencing. And she was the priest in a prophetic movement, I think. Oh yeah, that's well said. I'm a I'm a real big picture thinker. So let me let me say it how she uh, she was so fond of saying it. She passed away just a few years ago. But she, uh, she is quick to credit her bishop, but she's, she's the one who saw the value in this phrase and who made it uh, a widespread, so I'm going to credit her. Mm-hmm. She said it like this, that every 500 years, the church has a rummage sale. Mm-hmm. And not just the church, but the whole world. Now, where I, I grew up in Kansas, uh, I'm still kind of new to uh, Lincoln. We called them garage sales. Mm-hmm. Is that what they are around here? Yard sales. Yard sales. I'm from Colorado, you we call them garage sales too. So rummage I'm... sales. That's what she means, yep. though. She's from the South, so a rummage sales. And uh, it's interesting. Uh, and and I don't know how to explain the timeline here, but if you go back through history. Every 500 years, almost on the dot, something big changes. So one example is the Reformation with Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. That's when the Catholic Church had developed all sorts of uh, uh, bad and corrupt practices that were doing all sorts of harm. Uh, And Martin Luther came around, and it was timed in the world with the invention of the printing press, Mm -hmm. which meant for the first time it wasn't just the priest who could read the Bible, but it was anyone uh, and other things too, other books too, of course, and everything changed. The whole shape of the church changed. 
Well, and it was the first time that everyone could learn to read. Yeah, exactly. And the monastics were the only ones that read the scriptures, and then the wealthy were the only ones who read. And in the rest of the world, that uh, like a- outside of the church, as, as if there's a difference, but you know what I'm saying here. Yeah. Uh, it kicked off the age of science because Absolutely. all of a sudden learning could happen more broadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when the age of science, the age of reason happened. The economy was turned upside down before mm-hmm. Martin Luther. It was feudalism. Uh, you know, serfs and lords, that sort of thing. And what emerged out of it was capitalism, yeah. among other things. This is a lot of history put into it. I mean, you could, and, it, and it's not like it all happened on a, on a dime. In a month. This, yeah, <laughs> this, this took like a hundred years or more, uh, depending yeah. on it. Uh, but that was a transition. Okay, so you go back another 500 years, and I know, I, I know a little less about the rest of the world on this one. But around the year 1000, because Martin Luther was around uh, 1500, around 1000 was the Great Schism. Uh, Up until that point, the church had been, well, at least they thought it was one one big church over the whole world. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the the Great Schism was when the Eastern Church split from the West, uh, or as we would call it today, the Orthodox Church, like the Greek and Russian Orthodox, Mm -hmm. versus the Roman Catholic Church. Protestants weren't around yet. Right. Go back another 500 years, and you have the fall of Rome. You can say what you want about how Rome kept peace. Uh, obviously, there was a lot of bad there, too. But the fall of Rome uh, upended and disrupted everybody's world. Uh, and at the same time, in the church, monasticism developed, monks and nuns. Now, there were, there were people who went out in the desert. Um, you know, there, yeah. there, was like, there were like precursors to it. Yep. But it was, it was monasticism, the monks and the nuns, that provided stability in a world where everything was falling apart. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that even started with Constantine and the politicizing of the church. Right. The creation of Christian moralism as law. So Christian wasn't an underground movement anymore. No. All of a sudden it was sanctioned by the government. It's the law of the land. That was a little bit earlier while Rome still had at least some foothold, but mm-hmm. it, it was part of the transition. 500 years before that, uh, okay, any guesses what happened 500 <laughs> years before that? Jesus, yeah, that's the answer to every question in Sunday school, that's right? right. <laughs> and of course that upended and transformed a lot of things. Now here, here the timeline you have to stretch a little more, but you can't even go further than that because mm-hmm. five, you know, six, seven hundred years before that was the Babylonian exile. And again, if you keep stretching, there were big transitions that happened about every 500 years even before that. Yep. So, as uh, Phyllis uh, is fond of saying, so let's see, 500 years after the Great Reformation. Here we are. Oh my goodness, that's right now. Here we are. So this was already something that interested me, uh, only now it isn't, it isn't the invention of the printing press. You could even say the internet, but I, I think you have to go further back than the internet. I do too. Uh, you have to go back to uh, the telegraph and the telephone, mm-hmm. uh, and for that matter, the automobile and the train uh, mm-hmm. being able to connect us where a village isn't isolated anymore. Mm-hmm. Newspapers, uh, that sort of thing. The internet's really just the culmination, and it took, it took the, what was already changing in our world uh, and sped it up drastically. Yes. Well, and it gave, not unlike the printing press, all of a sudden, everybody had access to information they wouldn't otherwise have known. Because I would even point to um, Vietnam in the 50s and 60s. 
as the beginning of the emergent movement or this yeah. changing time because all of a sudden you you have the end of kind of that American dream time but also when Vietnam started people could see for the first time the boys these coffins being unloaded off the plane and we could have conversations about why we were at war and it wasn't as sexy and glamorous and patriotic as it was before war was no longer distant the pictures were yes. no longer delayed even by even by weeks or months exactly and we couldn't attach a strange moral ideology to why we were there and people had access to information and news and so all of a sudden they got to start questioning things and why were they going to church and it changed from the 50s and 60s where you went because it was a social expectation it's what the good and the moral did and now it's why, why do we go and uh, just to make it a, a little more personal, I'll bet this is something that uh, everyone can directly relate to. We ask different questions. I don't, well, the church, but I mean, just like all of us, we ask different questions. So one that I've heard is a, a good example is what do we make of other religions, of uh, people who are Hindu or Buddhist? Uh, well, there've been there's been a little more crossover with Judaism, so I'm gonna leave that one out for right of it. So, say, what do we make of someone who is Hindu, uh, along with heaven and hell, which is a whole other topic for a whole other time? Yes. But what what do we make of that? That's a question that we didn't used to have to wrestle with, and by by we I mean like a hundred years ago. Like who yeah. who was asking that question a hundred years ago? It just wouldn't even right. You had no cause. No. But I'm 42. I went to college with people who were Hindu yep, uh, and had friends who were of other religions. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, any of us can go online right now and be talking to someone who is Sikh yep. or I don't know. I, you get my point. Yep. We're so much more connected than the world was 100 years ago. Absolutely. And that changes the questions that we all are asking and that the church has to ask too. And in the process, the church has a rummage sale. Mm -hmm. We have to discard some of the old practices that aren't fitting the new world while God brings something new about that uh, I'm the eternal hopeful optimist in part because of my faith, mm -hmm. but that's going to be even better even if it's a little bit difficult to part with some of the things we have to put out on the driveway to make room for the new. Yes. And not just practices, but ideologies. It's so easy to get stuck in the idea that, I mean, part of the value of the emergent movement was, you know, it was a lot of post-evangelicals and we grew up with that absolute truth idea. One of my seminary professors, when he was my age, did not believe that women, he still, at the end of the day, as a progressive man in the 70s, did not believe that a woman should be an ordained minister. And watching him come around on that, Phyllis Tickle says uh, that the central question of every one of these transition is where is the authority? Mm -hmm. And what happened 500 years ago is that the authority was in the church mm -hmm. and after Martin Luther, the authority became scripture because everyone could read it for the uh, first time. The funny way to say it is that Martin Luther made a paper pope. <laughs> and I'm not trying to devalue scripture by the uh, by the slightest. In fact, I think I think we go even deeper and richer uh, when, when we say the thing I'm about to say next. <laughs> uh -oh. And that is when we start to question it, mm. when we start to wrestle with what it says, when we start to uh, uh, 
uh, ask more deeply. We go deeper and richer with, with Scripture, but we also realize that as a sole source of authority, mm-hmm. well, that, I, I don't know, it gets, comp- oh man, this needs so much more conversation. I, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm tearing apart people's faith here, and I don't mean to do that. Uh. But an example, this is where I was going with this, an example would be, is it Second Timothy or First Timothy? That's uh, one of the Timothys. Second. The t- second, I, I figured you would probably know, that talks about how women shouldn't be teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what do you what do you say back to that professor? Was it what do you say back? Because one of our questions is 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 that verse authority, and in what sense? Right. And I think that the jury's still out on where the authority is in this uh, in this transition. I agree. Most people uh, most people I've talked to say that the early front runner is community. Mm-hmm. That we correct one another. You know, look at Wikipedia. If someone goes in and makes a, uh, a a bad change on Wikipedia, the community comes in and fixes it. Or a hilarious and amazing change on Wikipedia. I'm just, just leaving saying. it out there. <laughs> <laughs> but in each one of the... Now, okay, this, I told you I'm a big picture guy, right? <laughs> this is all getting back to COVID-19. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in every one of these transitions, there were watershed moments. Now, I'm not enough of a historian to be able to tell you any of the stories. I know I've read them, but they're not coming to mind right now. There were always moments that kind of catalyzed the change that was taking place in the mm-hmm. world and that accelerated the pace forward. Uh, and I think the invention of the Internet and it becoming widespread was one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, here the telephone uh, uh, was beginning uh, that connection with us, but the Internet uh, accelerated it and catalyzed it. Uh, and now here we are with COVID-19, working from home, doing things remotely. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter where people are. Right. All of a sudden, everything is accelerated and sped up, both outside of the church and inside of it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we're doing this podcast. Our vision for Trinity is that we make people who are fully alive, and I fully know that uh, worship alone helps, but it doesn't completely get it done. So, random question, though. Yeah. So, when you think about, because the point, too, isn't that we don't want to just be reactive, right? We want to be purposeful. So, we don't want to just, like, play some Christian music and run a nice little thing and say, oh, I had my quiet time with God. My evangelical is coming out. Also, my PTSD, because <laughs> I'm really annoyed that I just said that. Um but it's all right, Jody Renee. Lay, lay it at the foot of the cross right. and, and be convicted. And be convicted. Recommit my life to Jesus today. We'll have a chair for you at oh, the front of the sanctuary. You can come up. We'll You're going to sing just as just I as am. Just as I am. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Sorry. Or as the deer. Um, <laughs> so when we think about it, I'm asking you this as a pastor, but I'm also asking you as the left lobe to my theological brain. Um, that implies that we're taking some things and moving forward, and we're taking some things and putting them on the table. Crowd on the driveway for the rummage sale. Mm -hmm. From your standpoint in the emerging movement, because we're not just talking about COVID, we're not just talking about this. I mean, like this is the big trauma that's sort of forcing the next move, right? What would you put in the keep bin if that one's easier? Let's start there. (laughs) Mr. Positive. (laughs) We need small groups. And I know pastors are always yakking on and on about small groups and I intend to continue doing so because uh, we need it you know we need to know and be known we need friends Uh, I I don't I don't know about all of you but it's hard to make friends in our world today and I lack 
close relationships in my life. And then there's a difference when you have those relationships in the context of growing in God, too. And that's why we have those groups. And uh, I say that's something we need to keep. It's not something that us Methodists have done particularly well, which is ironic, considering that's what how uh, John Wesley started. It's what mainliners don't do well. Let's put it that way a little yeah. more broadly. Yeah. That's something that we need to keep. What goes out in the rummage sale, I don't... That's going to take more thought, and I'm surprised I, I that hadn't occurred to me before. No, well, I've been thinking about it way too long, I think. So small groups is a is a method because you see that you see the need emerging for meaningful spiritual community. Jesus himself grew because he had twelve people around him, and he knew that the best way to bring them up in the faith was for them to have a group of 12. Yeah. And even within that group of 12, there were three that were in even more inner circle. Well, let's be honest. There was probably more than that because they didn't count the women. Well, it's true. But dumb chink. That's true. Yeah. yeah. That's why she's here is to help. <coughs> count the women. Right. <laughs> uh, don't mean to make light of it. That's not what I meant. But uh, relationship is key and that's something that transcends all of these different transitions and it's something that we've neglected and that we need to rediscover. I'm going to split hairs with you. Okay. Because I as a post-church person and an artist and a city mouse, I don't necessarily need more friends because I'm ever the social butterfly. True, I speak as an introvert. Yes. So maybe I need more friends. <laughs> what I do need, not necessarily always want, but what I do need are people with whom doing my faith practices, sharing communion with them, praying with them, hearing their thoughts on God, hearing their experiences of, with scripture, ignites and is the provocateur of my own experience of God so that I can't have my like, because one of the things that I really left evangelicalism over and was weary of and taught madly from every pulpit and classroom I could get was that I'm not a precious snowflake. It's not just me and Jesus in the closet for seven minutes. Like there's more, <laughs> was that too obscene? Everybody knows the game. We're not going to pretend we don't, but it's, I can't know God in a vacuum in a, in it all the same way. That's going to change me and transform me the way that I have to engage with your experience of God. Yeah. And that's one of the things I appreciate about you is that you you have a remarkable ability to ask me the hard question I'm avoiding or haven't even thought of. Mm. And we all need that. Yeah. Uh, and that comes, that comes from difference. It comes from being around people who are different than us. Mm -hmm. And in the age of the internet, you know, bubbles and all of that, mm -hmm. um, all the more we need to have those experiences where people burst our bubble a little bit. Yeah. Well, because if it's really just about relationship, and I'm not saying you summed it down to that or boiled it down to that, but one of the things well, I've heard... Well, I kind of did, but I didn't mean in to. In a way. I didn't mean to. I know what you mean. <laughs> in a post-church world, I hear people saying things to me like, um, I don't need church. I go to... I, I have my bowling league. I don't ah. go to church. I have my book club. Or my yeah. dear friend Nadia, and she's not wrong in this at all, and she obviously loves church, but Nadia Boltz-Weber says how she has had an experience of church more often in an AA group in a church basement than she has sometimes in a oh, Sunday setting. And I will take that another step, too. You know, I'm just going to go for it and put it out there. One of my more profound experiences of church 
was in a comic book shop. Mm. And I'm not uh, just out of respect for privacy and all that sort of thing. I'm not going to go any. I'm not going to go any deeper. But pe- people who, when they found out I was a pastor, kind of clammed up a little bit. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> but once they got over it, uh, the, the way that I saw God moving in that conversation, even though God wasn't named is one of the more profound experiences that I consider church. Now, that's not to say that God should never be named, because certainly there is a time for that. Um, we should be intentional in growing our faith, too. But my point, what I'm trying to say is God is there working in the bowling league, too. Sure. God is there working in the book club, too. But what we bring to it as a church is to help give a name to it, to help give some... Um, di- a different kind of intentionality to it that I think mm, furthers that, deepens that? What yeah. am I trying to say here? No, I think you're yeah. right. It's the, in- the intentionality provokes a different movement where instead of the growth, you know, that sounds so static, but instead of a, a place to wrestle with the faith life as a primary, um, and of course life together is part of the faith life. Yeah then it's, you know, in the other contexts, it's a secondary byproduct and, you know, praise be the Holy Spirit that works. So you all just experienced a classic Jeff and Jody Renee rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) That said, we've been talking a long time um, uh, and I haven't been watching the clock. Let me bring it back around though, because this whole 500 year transition thing, Mm -hmm. oh man, you're going to, you're going to catch the dirty side of Pastor Jeff language here. Are you ready for this? Part of this emergence thing scares the hell out of me. Oh, good gravy. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm serious. Um, It does, because you think about these other 500-year transitions. It should. And they affect the economy. Like, I had a moment where I'm like, I I can't imagine any way to live other than capitalism. Yeah. And not... Uh, and that's good. So much good has come from. Ca- I'm not. I'm not saying capitalism's bad. There are those who do. I, 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 I'm. I'm value neutral here. I'm just <laughs> saying the thought of getting to anything else scares the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, these. Uh, each one of these transitions has involved massive political change. Uh, not something that was necessarily fought for, though maybe eventually. Yeah. It just. It just was a natural occurrence because of what was going on. And we've seen so much change in our own politics. The role of the presidency, the role of the uh, of the Senate, even perhaps, and the power um, of grassroots movements. The power. I mean, there's. I don't know what's going on here, and that scares me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here's what I do know, though, and here's where I am bringing this back around. Here's what I do know. In every one of these transitions, when we look back on them, we can see how God was there every step of the way. Mm-hmm. That there were steps forward, that there were steps backwards, that there were difficult times, but that what God brought for the for the new era was something that was wonderful and something that was profound and something that was good. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever wondered what it was like to live during a great moment of history, here's your answer. Look around. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to tell the story again about Ricky the other week. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to yeah, end. Yeah. Let's do that. So uh, my son, Ricky, is eight years old, uh, and I got his permission to tell this story in church, so I hope he doesn't mind me telling it here, too. This is church For after all, all of time. right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, uh, he asked me, this was just last week, I think, he asked me uh, before church, you know, how, how long is this virus going to go on? 
And I said, well, we don't know. We're probably, probably for a year or two. And then sensing the trouble, troubled look on his face when I said a year or two, because remember from his point of view, school is canceled, all, uh, fear, all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I said, you know, it's, it's not always going to be as hard as it is right now. You know, probably we'll go back to school uh, next year, but it may look a little different, may do some things differently. But we're probably going to be wearing masks and things like that for, uh, for a year or two. Uh, and that conversation went on a little longer like that. And then I could sense, you know, he's, he's like me. I can see the gears turning in his head as he thinks about all these things and all this big picture stuff. And I could tell that he was troubled while he was eating his breakfast cereal. And, I, and so, this is, so I, I channeled my inner Mr. Rogers a little bit and said this. But you know what? God wanted us to live right now so that we could be helpers during this important time. And that's pretty special. And I could see the tension in his body soften, even when I said it. So this was this was before church on Sunday morning, and we go around, and you know, in a house with an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, the next step is okay, clear your place, finish, you know, finish your cereal. We're late. We've got to get to church. I got a sermon to preach. Come on, get your shoes on. Get your shoes on. And then Ricky comes up and gives me a hug right before we leave, and says it's a compliment. I'm like, what? It's like, oh, that. (laughs) He's still thinking about that. And he said, it's a compliment that God wants us to be helpers during this time. So that's all I got. Any last words? No, my brain's spinning, I know. I do my mic drop thing and then ask you if you have any last words. Yeah, thanks for that. Well, thank you all for uh, listening if you've made it this far. Uh, We're hoping that this can be a way for you to go deeper, to think a little more about your faith. And you know what? As social distancing uh, 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 wanes a little bit, you know, maybe we even bring other people in. Church Mm -hmm. members come in, be part of the conversation, whatever. I don't know where this is going. All I know is I like to talk about these things, and I hope that you do too, and I hope that you're going in in comments or however. And please send in whatever questions, whatever it is about faith or a Bible verse that, that challenges you or you don't know what to do with, send it in. And we'll talk about it, and it will be a good time. It will. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. See you next week.